So today um, is on the power of love and the assurance of God's spirit. So John just got done telling us that um, God is love. And um, he's telling us that God is love because he was telling us how to test if we follow God's commandments. Because if we follow God's commandments, we know that God abides in us and us in him. Um, so, so today is about, he just told us God is love and then what that means. Um, and that means, um, that we're going to have a powerful life in God's love. And it means that we have the assurance that, that we have this reciprocal abiding, uh, with God. So let's start, uh, verse 13. Um, and so here's another segue by this. And so let's search for what that is segueing to. So I kind of figured that this would be segueing, you know, immediately to the previous uh, verse or, or passage, but it's actually, which it is, but indirectly. Um, it's actually segueing all the way up uh, to, um, for, like, to the previous chapter. So verse 24. I mean, verse, I'm sorry, um, chapter 3, verse 24. So let's go back there and read chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, so we got 324 here, and then we go back to 4, 413. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So this is like, essentially he's saying the same thing. It's, he's, repeating, um, he's repeating himself here. So, so as we know, John's letter um, doesn't follow a linear outline. Um, it's... It, it, he circles back to previous themes. And so we're going to kind of see here, um, uh, this is a good demonstration of how he circles back and, and, and works through these themes. Um, so here, if we go back to 324, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, by keeping his commandments, we know that um, he has given us his spirit. So, so then um, in chapter 4, 1 through 12, which was last week's passage, what we um, see here is that John is going to show us how we can know that we're following his commandments because if we follow his commandments, then we know that God is abiding in us and us in him. So how do we know that God, that we're following God's commandments. There's two tests. 
And again, this is in last, last week's passage. The two tests in last week's passage is um, to whom do we listen and obey? And that's verses 4, uh, 5 through 6. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Um, Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So one of the ways that we know we're um, following the commandments of God is that we listen and obey him, and we listen uh, to his witnesses. So, So when we listen to John... That is the same as listening to God, because John, um, first, uh, he wrote inherently, uh, his words are the inherent words of, or inerrant, sorry, inerrant words of uh, God. But also, John is a temple of God. So when we listen to the witness of God's people, we're listening to, uh, we the Holy Spirit abides in them and, and they are representing God. And so when we listen to those of whom the Spirit abides in, we know that we're listening to, to God as well. Um, and then um, the second test is, do we love each other? Um, so if we're listening and obeying God through listening and obeying his word and listening um, to others who are filled by the Holy Spirit and we love others, then we know that we're following his um, commandments. And so that gets us back to verse 13. Um, by following, by, by knowing that we're um, meeting those two tests, um, we can have confidence that he abides in us. So by this, we know that we abide in him. By this, by these, t- um, by following his commandments, which we know by these two tests, um, that we abide in him and he has given us the spirit. So, so do you think, do we listen to, uh, do we listen when we hear others testimonies and when we hear others talk about their experiences and also their conviction of what the word says do we listen to them or do we it i guess we enjoy we enjoy listening to things we enjoy watching television listening to what they tell us on television and radio and podcasts it's an enjoyable experience to listen so what do we seek to listen to and do we, do we listen do we listen when others talk about God's word and God in their life? That's a super, super huge question, I think. Uh, in our culture, what do we listen to? And <clears throat> me and Kayla were just watching, just for the fun of it, just that, that old debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye. And something I was pulling from it was like, he kept talking about science and science and science and then how it's gonna like take the next generation into the future. And in certain ways of the way he was talking about it, it is. But at the same time, 
kids are just sitting on our phones doing nothing, you know? And, but, it, but so like, what's the core? The core is what are we listening to and why? And like, you can watch a show with somebody mm -hmm. and they can be like, that was cool, what next? You know, yeah. or you can watch them and they like want to talk about it. They want to analyze yeah. it. And like, yeah. we call those people nerds. Yeah. Some of them we don't because they just don't look like them. Well, it depends on it. Yeah. We're narrative people. Yes. Like, he wants us to read stories and be interested right. in stories and pull them apart. That's so right. I think that sometimes when we hear a testimony, we can, because of our own nature, we can be like, yeah, that really moved me. And then just kind of walk away. But he'll still use it, right? Because he's good. So you can, you can have your... Remember Play it, later, plant it. But were you listening as well as you could? Were you like really getting out of it? Were you enjoying that story as opposed to? It, that's what we're always seeking is the, these experiences. It could be when we watch um, football. You know, it really is a story being played out. Like who's going to win, right? Uh, so we're listening intently to to that game because we're into what that story is about. So you're saying like when somebody talks about their experience with God or how the word applies to their life and how God is working the word out in their life, um, man, we should be like, that should be thrilled because we, we are into that story. Um, and like, how is this going to end? Like, tell me like the story. Tell me the story of your week and how God's worked through your week. I'd love to hear the ending of that that story. I'm anticipating how this is going to, how it worked out for you. Um, and then if you're into that, that person's story about how God worked um, in their life through their week, you're going to be absorbed into that story as opposed to what you're saying, you're just listening to their words yeah. and then and then going off and then because you'd rather go watch television or listen to a podcast. Were you going to say something? Or you can be like me when you want, when I watch a football game, I can hear all the words, but they mean nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. Because you're... We had, we had this... this uh, I, I was teaching an uh, ESL class on Friday, on Thursday, and... Uh, the word uh, here came up, and, that, and they said, well, that means to listen. And it's like, no, hearing is just noise out there that is coming to your ears. Okay, listening yes. is pay attention to what is being said and have some kind of interaction with Yeah, because you're into it. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. right. So, it. so it's like, okay, you know, when uh, James says, be here, so uh, be, don't only hear the word, but do it as well. You know that that is a different, a different uh, kind of hearing. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. But you're doing something. Yes, that's it. <laughs> I think yeah, we need to listen to God and brothers and sisters because, well, with the assumption of what they're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Because what they're saying is compelling. And what the world mm -hmm. is saying is That's true. less compelled. That is so good. And if so good. it's not, then some work needs to be done. That's that's it. Um, and then the other one is, uh, do we worship the God of love by loving others? And, and of course, 
so much of what uh, this uh, this letter is about is exactly this. Um, really getting to the core, John's really getting to the core um, with, you know, to showing us how to test if uh, we're worshiping the God of love by, by loving others. So that's what we're going to dive deeper into today, which is the power of love and the assurance of God's spirit. And so, Jorge defined love yesterday, or last week, thank you. I'm sure he did. <laughs> and last week was a long time ago, so I can't believe I just said that. See, he's had so much fun that just felt like That's right. <laughs> God is love because he sacrificed his only son so that we may live with him. As, you know, it would have been enough if the father would have just shared his son with us. But he didn't only share his son with us. He offered his son up as a sacrifice uh, for us. Uh, this is cause the cosmically supreme act of love. Uh, there is no greater act of love that could have ever be imagined or demonstrated. And God knows our greatest delight is experiencing uh, this love and participating in it. And when we experience this love personally, it, it comes out in, in gratitude. And, and the act of it coming out in gratitude is us acting it out and being like God in, in love overflowing uh, towards others. So God directs us, or he commands us to love one another for his glory and for, for our joy. And so this is, this is the Christian experience, is, is the Holy Spirit coming in, giving us the hearts and the ears to listen to the good news, the real story. And then we realize that God personally loves us and that is the greatest imaginable experience. And then, and then obviously we react to that out of gratitude and then that gratitude overflows toward loving others. And, and that is us acting out being temples of God. And when, we, when that love overflows, we are being temples of God because we are representing him and being like him. And showing that the Spirit um, lives in us and lives, lives with us. And then, and then people, and, and this is, and then this propagates because people see God in us, they listen to us, they're inspired by that, they see that they are loved by God as well, that love overflows from them and, and others see that, experience that, listen to them. They see that God's love is personal and it goes on and on and on. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the um, Great Commission and, and, you know, Jesus commanding the disciples to go out and, and spread the gospel. 
and essentially be temples of God. Um, and, and, you know, I kind of saw it in a different way because one of the things I think he's saying is like, okay, you know what I've done for you. You know that I love you. You have this incredible experience, the best experience that a human being can have, which is a relationship, a personal relationship with me. And you could go through the rest of your life just having, you know, assurance um, that you know God. Um, and really, without that command to go out and share the good news, the disciples could have just gone on with their life with this perfect gift of knowing Jesus. Um, it's not totally obvious that they were supposed to go out and be temples of God uh, to others. If that makes any sense, yeah. they could have just gone on with their life as, as uh, fishermen yeah. and, and never really realized that um, they ought to go and love others in the same way that they have been loved. Um, all right. you stand out when you decide not to be that that way um, I believe it to be total depravity um, we see it in the story of the Old Testament right he takes his people out of Egypt and then his goal is I'm gonna make you holy like me and the goal which connects to what he's saying is you're gonna be so different than the nations around you that they're gonna to want to come in and accept your God it's almost like the Great Commission before the Great Commission ever happened. They're going to want to come in and accept your God. But we are so great that we kept, even with God there, even with the law they specifically gave us, I say we, but it was them. But we still did that. And then we lost them. Like, we lost what, our purpose. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, you're right. The presence of God. You know, like you're saying, going out being temples, the presence of God, we made it unavailable. And mm -hmm. it was there. Mm -hmm. What a crime. Well, yeah, you think about that. There was no sending out missionaries. <laughs> they had actually came to the war, right? That's why God stuck them there in that. I mean, all the major trade routes came right through that area. And, and they didn't have to go anywhere. They could go home at night and sleep with all nice warm bed. And, and make an impact on the world, but yet they chose not to. You know. Well, it's still the, do you want to be different? Look at any group. 
You dress like them. They're, if you don't, you're not part of that group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, things and so it's that way. In other words, because I heard from some of those reports from the early missionaries, in other words, they were a lot different. But the second generation didn't want to be, should we say, sore thumbs in society. <laughs> in other words, different. And uh, so that's, and there's the old saying, in other words, somebody rubs you the wrong way, it takes about three rubs to equal the other way. <laughs> Good rubs. Because <laughs> you remember the bad rubs. Or, in other words, say, hey, man, that guy did me this or that or blah, whatever. <laughs> and like Paul said, the, the law was put there to expose our rebelliousness. So like that little kid thing, I did too. So. Well, yeah, God even calls them peculiar people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, yeah. in society, you were peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> because, well, you look at the Old Testament, the hierarchy, the high priest was supposed to teach the family of Levi, and the family of Levi was supposed to teach the rest of the Israelites. And of course, what was the rest of the Israelites supposed to teach the rest of the world about God? That was the hierarchy. Uh, that didn't work out. We're sort of <laughs> in that same hierarchy. In other words, there you got the preachers that were supposed to teach the church, and the church is supposed to go out there and teach the world. Families. And of course, if you're a Muslim or Islam, the Jews failed in doing that. The Christians failed in doing that. Now us Muslims, we got to conquer the world for our God. Oh, that's pretty good. I like that. Um, that's their reasoning. It's pretty good. Uh, chapters, I mean, uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, John again gets us to, to, to listen to him to, to him and, and um, again tries to convince us uh, to listen to him and the evidence that we have um, to, to have confidence um, in the reality of the gospel and um, that God is love and he has acted that out for us um, and and that he does abide in us and in us and him. So he goes into what I think as a public, um, uh, describing public evidence and then private evidence um, that the gospel is true. So uh, verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And then that's, that's public. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to, to be a Savior of the world. And then 15 is, is private. Whoever confesses personally that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and, and um, He and God. And so, so John is saying, you know, 
me and others, I witnessed uh, God's love in action. And, and of course, this is just incredible to, to imagine. They've given their testimony to us to listen. They didn't just keep it for themselves. And, and also, other than John, his friends definitely died to, to share this great news uh, with us when they could have gone and just lived out their life. Um, and so John keeps telling us about God abiding in us, almost as if he's, he's yelling and he's, he's telling us God abides in us and he's telling us of the, uh, the facts of the gospel. And he's just like, are you guys listening? You know, so John um, is Jesus' beloved disciple whom Jesus treated like a brother. Uh, John saw him in glory with his father. John is saying, I saw him in his sacrificial agony in the garden. I saw him arrested and unjustly crucified. I became a caring son to his mother after his death. I saw his empty tomb. I saw him live again along with 500 others. And then I saw him physically ascend into heaven. And, and just... Just like John, we get to confess our belief based on our own personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. So, so John had probably more than any other person had the most intimate experiences with, with Jesus. And in, in the flesh, he did. Um, but we also encounter Jesus just as intimately. And, and we uh, can know uh, Jesus just as well. Because we know that Jesus even said himself that it's better in, we, it's better if he goes away. We can have a stronger relationship with Jesus uh, without him being here physically. Because he said, uh, in John sixteen seven, he said, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And so that is the Spirit permanently, truly abiding in us. And so to a degree, even though John experienced Jesus in the flesh and saw the gospel play out in front of his eyes, um, he didn't have this reciprocal abiding to the same degree that, that we have. So we can have even more of an intimate um, experience um, with, with Jesus now than even John did. At least that's what I think Scripture says. What do you guys think? Well, it seems like, in other words, as Jesus, he could only be in one place. Mm-hmm. But as the Holy Spirit indwelling, he be in it everywhere. Mm-hmm. In other words, you, me, everybody else, at the same time. Well, John was able to face this properly. Um, you know, the way the Bible describes him, he is the disciple that Jesus loved. When he mm-hmm. speaks of his relationship with Jesus, he says, uh, you know, with his head on his shoulder, uh, you know, 
that, that sounds a little bit more intimate than, uh, uh, than what uh, the other disciples described. Okay, so he had a physical connection mm -hmm. with them that, that he uses to say, hey, this is how it works. Mm -hmm. um, we have, we have a, I guess, the hope that mm -hmm. we're going to have a relationship like it in the future or an eternity future that, that we're going to be able to, to enjoy that way. It's very good. Because we still have a, because we're creatures of sight and we're physical creatures, we still have a good desire to be with him physically. Um, so, but he still said it's better if he's not, if he goes away. So, so even though we have, and it's good because we're physical creatures, so we have a, a desire to be with him Physically, we know that the power is in the spirit. So there's, so we can have a more powerful experience with Jesus uh, in the spirit, even not being with him, him physically. I'll try not to go too long here. It's just so cool that it happened at the same time. But on Friday, at Venture, we're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about Sproul was talking about how Sigmund Freud. The reason that he thinks people believe in uh, God is because of natural disasters. And then he goes on to talk about the, the storm and how Jesus stopped the storm. And then they were afraid of him. It was him they were afraid of. Then he goes on to talk about like Isaiah, right? Isaiah, when Isaiah is before, God is like, I'm undone. I, I. Then he goes on to talk about Peter and he sends out the boats and all the fish come and he breaks down. He's, you know, and he's like, I'm thinking Peter would be like, dude, let's get a business going, you know, like something like that. But instead, he breaks down to his knees and says, I'm a sinful man. It's this. It was so moving for me. Uh, and right now, it's just happening again. It's just the presence of God, the presence of God, and what it does to people. And and I think uh, another thing about God sending a spirit is that it truly makes uh, we are officially formally temple that that temple of God and I say the temple because when I went back and kind of investigated us being temples of God or the temple of God the references aren't really personal it's not really we I am a temple of God and you are a temple of God it was hard to really tie that down but Definitely what kind of is body. implied is body. So okay. so when the holy it's it's we are the temple of God and you can either break that all the way down to individually um, or you can say uh, the body and definitely the church. So when God sent well, I mean, when Jesus sent the spirit, he really, really for sure sent the spirit to to the church and as the church we are the temple um, of God and so collectively we are experiencing a relationship with Jesus in a way that uh, the disciples didn't maybe to the extent that we can 
um, as as the church of God who has the Spirit abiding with us. Well, in church, but I think individually too. Mm-hmm. In other words, because of the do- dwelling of the Holy Spirit in each person, mm-hmm. you are the temple. Yes, and it's just I couldn't uh, tie that down totally when I went back and looked at temple. I, I believe that, but it's a little bit hard to pin down if that's really individual um, specifically. But so I think it's kind of open because I think it's both. But at the same time, I didn't do a full study on, on the temple in the New Testament. Just really quick, when you tie it to Christ's teaching, right? Like especially in the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, give your cloak, go the extra mile, don't do an eye for an eye, be slapped in the face. Like the stuff that he's talking about, and you're talking earlier too about how like it all culminates in Jesus dying on the cross. The heck does that mean? You know, but when you talk to people, they're like, especially people who are skeptics, they're like, I don't know why he had to do that. Like it's the same thing. It, it, it freaks people out. Yes. Like the, the presence of God scares people. Yes. Because it makes them feel like I don't know why I have to feel guilty. It's like because you are in the presence yeah. of God. You know. Yes. You're guilty. And and John's gonna get get to that Sorry. reality. No, this is perfect. And and there is the thing that the gospel is a defined story it is it is facts it is god's god's providential wisdom this is how he designed um, these events to unfold and that his son would be crucified you know die by roman crucifixion first of all that's defined and the world doesn't like things that are defined and this is how it is and this is the way the truth and the life Jesus is and that's probably that could be one of the most offensive that probably is the most offensive um, truth there is uh, to people because everyone everyone desires redemption because every story is about redemption right so nobody is offended by redemption Um, what they're offended by is that there is one uh, way to redemption and it's a defined way um, and I think that's very offensive to the world because the world wants things to be open-ended and, wow. and it feels very closed to the world, right? Well, if you want to look at it, is, is it exclusive and you're a bit, in their eyes, you're a bigot. <laughs> that's right, because you have this one way and that's it. Um, okay, so he... He gave us the two, again, the two evidences that the gospel is facts. You got the public evidence, and the private evidence. And then, and then he says, okay, based on all this evidence, based on the gospel being true. So we have come, verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So he summarizes everything. He summarizes the gospel. He summarizes you know, the proof that the gospel is real. Um, and because of all this, um, and because we have the additional evidence of faith, um, which we have public evidence, and then we have the private um, evidence of what God has done for us. And that is, that is faith. 
And because of all this, um, we know that God is love and that he abides in us. And, and so we, based off that, we listen, we listen to him and we love others and we don't listen to the empty promises of the world. And, and so by, by all of this, by everything that he has described up to uh, this point about God abiding in us and us in him, it, the result of that is perfect, um, is love perfected. So let's read verse 17. By this love perfected, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So this is the real core, um, the power of love, the assurance of the spirit, um, is love being perfected in us. And that perfect love is demonstrated um, as fruits um, out um, in being compassionate toward others in the same way that God has been compassionate toward us. Uh, and then he says, because we have, because love is being perfected, this, this results in confidence because uh, we, it's core of our experience, right? Is, is fear. We know that we are eternal um, beings and uh, we know that we are either, um, we know we deserve, all of us know that we deserve eternal punishment. Um, and so we are racked with fear and guilt, uh, but we know that based on all of this evidence, um, based on love being perfected in us, we have confidence in the day of judgment. We have confidence in the ultimate um, promise of the gospel that we do not, we do not have to fear uh, the day of, of judgment. You know, I was... I know it seems like our society wants to take the whole judgment thing out and, and to, to the place that they don't necessarily have any fear of judgment. I see that because I was talking to a guy and I think Laurie's saved, but he's talking about his sister and he's told me a little bit about his sister. And, and she just passed away and some of it was because of her own, like a lot of us, she just mainly drugs, but that took her to the place where she was at and just... And then Larry's comment, well, some to the fact is, well, I know Larry, something about his sister being in heaven. And I thought, I mean, I'm not going to call that. I, I, I can't call it. But based on all the evidence Larry's told me about her life, I'm thinking, you're basing that on what? There's nothing in that woman's life that should give you any confidence at all. That that woman is going to go to spend eternity with God. I, I'm not calling it. That's way too far. Like uh, you know, mm -hmm. like Obama says, above my pay grade. 
But yeah. based on what John talked yeah. about, the fruit, she, there was right. no fruit in that woman's life. There was yeah. no, I just get so frustrated. Why, you know, we, mm -hmm. we don't only do, you know, as long as we can't help this Larry sister anymore, but we don't do anybody else any good to yeah. say that that woman's going to heaven. That's right. For sure, because we give the people around us, my kids, your friends, go, well, I can screw around like she does, I'm going to heaven. False yeah. So this false. is... Well, false hope, right? This is false assurance. And that's what's so dangerous about this. False assurance is saying, hey, uh, you're safe. You don't need to take, you don't need to listen to the gospel anymore. Because you have, they're essentially giving her assurance without uh, encouraging her to test um, that assurance for herself based on what John is saying. Is she listening and obeying um, the word of God, his word, and those that the spirit uh, abides in? And is she reacting to that by loving others? Um, and, and so that's a personal test that I don't think we should go and uh, assure, spiritually assure people in 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 that way. We don't we don't have we don't know the spiritual condition of, of well, people. So with right. our even with our children, we have to be very careful, and with people that we know very well, because they need to test it for themselves. Right. But still, there ought to be fruit, you know, there ought to be fruits in people's lives that we can look at and go, you know, obviously we're not going to call it God's all, we're going to judge it. I mean, if you looked at David's fruits in some, in some of his life, you go, that boy ain't going to heaven. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? That, you know, they ain't going there. But God's, you know, but but you look at, the, you know, and then you look at the rest of it, you know, because we get a little basic, we kind of, Look at what God says. He's bad from God, but you look at the is the majority's fruits. I'm just saying, you know, we got to be so careful when when people aren't producing fruits and mm -hmm. call them yes Christians. That's right. That's all I'm saying. Yes, I totally agree with that. The final judgment's up to Jesus anyway. So, but the thing is, like you say, they're afraid of judgment. They're really not. They just have a different standard. Right. By saying you, more or less, they lay the judgment on you that you're not open to a bigger view or whatever. Call everybody nice. It's just a different standard of judgment, that's all. So when, when people see us maturing in the Lord, uh, what they see is that love is increasing in us and outwardly from us. And do you think, and as they see that, do you think that they see our anxiety increasing or do you think that they see our anxiety decreasing? Say the question again. So as, as we mature in, in Christ, um, so we mature in Christ and we... Um, we increase in love, right? Um, so, as we mature in Christ, do you think that the perception of us, do you think the way that people perceive us, do you think that they see us as being more anxious or less anxious? 
Uh, you gotta be careful how you define that love because a lot of love, but if that mushy stuff, you let anything go, the world views you as an idiot. Because, hey, I love him. No, I don't care what he does. Are you saying the love of Christ? Yeah, well. Well, the love of Christ makes people bold, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah. would say the answer to the question, no, we should be more relaxed. Yeah. I remember when that Al Gore thing came out, what was the name of it? And the guy came to me, Jeff, mature. Jeff, if you watch Al Gore's movie, whatever. It can be in church. It can be in church. Jeff. And I looked at him and I said, I said, well, I read the end of the book. I'm not too worried about it. You know what I mean? Right. And he goes, Jeff, it really shook me up. What do you think? I said, I read the end of the book. I'm not too worried about it. I must have said that four times. And finally, I think he finally got it. No, I'm not too anxious about that because... It's in God's control. Yeah. Now, how, how the right. world is destroyed is not up to me and not even up to what we think. God's got it under control. And uh, it's only going to happen in His time and under His say. That's right. So, so as love, as our love increases, our fear decreases, it right? Decreases, yes. Yes. Our anxiety. Yes. There is... Yes. And, and the, the consequence of yourself for those who are not abiding in God's word and not following, you know, his word and not, wit, you know, taking the witness accounts mm -hmm. as truth. So I think that it's a, a balance where you can come across extremely anxious, even from an element of true belief and sincerity. But, you know, if I was facing God in person, I would be like... Yeah. Super so we are to worship. We are to worship God in fear and trembling, and that well, you know the problem. Is, I use the word anxious. Maybe that's a little hang up right there. I think we ought to be afraid, and you know. But I think the anxious kind of brings a false. I guess it's not like I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, so it's. But I totally agree with you. I think our, the more yeah. we get, we realize how how. Worthless our little what we think is going to get us there. Well, Lord, I went to Sunday school for thirty years. Right. That's not a Stop that! I mean, fear, fear is an fear is an attribute, right? So, right. so it is not our our fear is focused on where right. it should be focused, right? There you go. That's which is yeah, which um, is is that the right word? Terrifying. Terrifying gun. In older Christians, yes. I see people who grow less anxious, generally. <laughs> so, some people, that's their sin struggles, so you see that quite a bit. Some people are, have it less. But there's less anxiety, but there's more mourning. Because, mm -hmm. like you're saying, their sin and the sin of the world is revealed more to them the more they understand this. So they're our so, so they mourn more. Okay, so so they they fear God more and more. Um and but towards the world there is less fear 
um, towards the world, but more mourning uh, for the world. Which definitely comes across as anxiety in our world, definitely. It's like, you don't feel good, that must be anxiety. Well, we we sort of discussed this on Friday as the ministry. In fact, exactly, this kind of is the the sort of serious title, but the fear that people have before God, like we talked about, you know, Peter, when uh, Jesus caused them to haul in the fish that were sinking two of their boats, Peter fell down before Christ, and he feared because of his, because he said, I'm an unrighteous man. So it's the sin, our sinfulness that strikes fear. Uh, Isaiah, when he saw God, you know, the, the holiness of God, said, I'm a man of unclean lips, woe is me, and I am done. So it's a soldier's spot. It's the, the sin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Thanks for coming in late. I stole it from you. Which, which John says, too. Fear has to do with punishment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I... I think, yeah, you know, you know, we're not, maybe we're filled for all that punishment, mm -hmm. but we're not necessarily, what word do you use? <laughs> like, like, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know what I want to say, but it doesn't, there, there's a healthy fear, that's what we're trying to say, right? You're not mm -hmm. anxious about it. But you, yeah. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, but John is talking about the fear of death and the fear of the day of judgment. Sure. And when he says, no fear has, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And, well, and he, so it's definitely not the, the fear, the worshipful fear of God. It is, it is fear that is not pointed toward God. It is pointed, it is a result of, of our guilt and our and us knowing that we're deserving of punishment. Um, so love comes in. So the gospel, so we believe uh, the gospel based on the evidence, based on the eyewitness evidence, and based on uh, the evidence of faith. And so we, we believe that in faith. We have faith because we have experienced the love of Christ in the same way that John experienced uh, the love of Christ and in the same way that Jesus demonstrated it through the gospel events and, and dying uh, for us. So, so when, so, so through that faith, we, we experience God's love and, and as love, love is the opposite of fear. So love casts out fear, and so we do not fear the day of judgment, as love is perfected in us. fathers are godly, which I, my dad was, uh, was a godly person. When I did something wrong, there was that fear that I knew mm -hmm. I was in trouble, and, but there was never any question whether, number one, they loved me, mm -hmm. And number two, that I was going to lose my sonship because of right. what I did. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there was that assurance there. Does it make sense? But there was still that fear. fear. I mean, there was that, still that, you know, that thing is, I'm going to be punished for this. 
and I rightly deserve punishment. And the reason, yeah, and because love in action is trustworthy. So, so you trusted, so your, your father loved you, you knew that experientially, and so when he, anytime he acted towards you, you knew it was out of love, and it was trustworthy. And that, that trustworthiness of love is what casts fear out. Because we trust what Jesus is saying about um, what he's done for us, which right. is, means that we're avoiding the day of judgment. Avoiding that, yes. yeah, that day of judgment is coming, because and of, we yes. as Christians, because of our relationship in Christ, no longer have to fear that day of judgment. Because his love is trustworthy, yes. I think it is extremely unwise to fear that day. As a Christian, because it doesn't accept what this says. Yes. It doesn't accept what you're teaching. But I know that it's very, from what I've heard, it's very easy to fear that day mm. for Christians who have been studying the Bible for a very long time, and we need to correct course here. It's going to make a change in our lives if we do. Mm. We just have to try it out. It's a lot what you're fearing, because it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. That's exactly right. Yes. Well, we all, we all need that reassurance. Even John the Baptist needed reassurance. Tell me you're the, tell me you're the one. Oh, you were there, weren't you, at the Jordan River? Bill Blue. Who are you? I think one thing, too, is as we grow more intimate with Christ, um, the love that we... This is how it ought to be, because we grow, we love others, it becomes more of a natural just extension of our spiritual life. And the confidence we have before God comes through because we're loving, we're mm. our concern is with loving. It's not with obedience we're as being. much as it is with loving. I mean that that's as we grow, I mean that ought to be, you know, how we are. I mean, you know, we we know very mature Christians that they exude love, you know. They're being like God and how like how much more proof is there personally than in than seeing that you're being like God and you're you're loving others in the way that God loves. Uh, verse uh, verse nineteen uh, this is a very short sentence. We love because he first loved us. There you go. So this is the only practical, which is what you're saying, real practical um, world application, or the only real world application of the gospel is that we love because he first loved us. And I really think this is the central theme. Um, in, in John's letter. And we keep coming back to us, um, agapetos, um, right? And, and this, is, this is it. If we, are the, if we are the temple of the redeeming God, it is impossible for us not to love our brothers and sisters, all of them. And if we don't, if we don't um, visually love others, then we don't have the fruit of love. And without fruit, we can't say we have love, and therefore we can't say God abides in us. 
And, and so John is just, again, going through the logical contradiction of how we behave in our life and our, our at least my um, hypocrisy in that, saying that I am a Christian, but um, how can I be if people are not visually seeing the, the fruits, which is me loving others? And so we have um, historical evidence. We have uh, faith. Um, the, the knowledge that, that Jesus loves us personally. The historical evidence, which is the public evidence. And we have the demonstrable power of love, both of God in our lives and us um, acting out God's love um, toward others. And so we'll just wrap up with the last one, which is love is a commandment that makes us more uh, like, like God. And, and so God gives us a great commission. He tells us to go out and be like him in the same way that he was to us. And we go out and we love others and we show the compassion of God to others in, in real sacrificial Acts. And as long as we're not doing that, we can't really go around and say um, that we abide in God and God abides in us. And we can't really say that we have assurance um, for the day. We have assurance um, in in the day for the day of, of judgment. So lots of tests and things to think about from, from John. Mm-hmm.